Thanks for checking out this podcast from SWGFL. We're here to help teachers and education professionals support children and young people in all that they do online. Just to avoid any confusion, in autumn of 2022, we branded our podcasts as Interface. This is actually one of our older episodes from before the big rebrand, so it might sound a little bit different. However, there's still the same top quality advice and expert support throughout. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to this Safeguarding Children online podcast brought to you by SWGFL. Welcome to the SWGFL podcast, the free definitive guide helping educators keep young people and yourselves safe online. I'm Gareth Court, an online safety consultant with SWGFL, partner in the UK Safer Internet Centre, and I'm delighted to be joined here today with my fabulous colleague Andrew Williams, online safety and information security consultant at Southwest Grid. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Gareth. So, uh, hello to everyone too. Welcome to this podcast. As I said, delighted to have Andrew with me today as our special guest, talking about a really important area and a very relevant area in the last few months uh, over 2020 of online hate speech. So we're going to be we talking about what it is, but also uh, what you can do in your capacity of working with children and young people to help educate them about this area and to take positive action. So, Andrew, I'm going to start off throwing you a question straight away. I think a good place to start on this topic is really to establish what online hate speech is. Uh, how would you go about defining it? <laughs> well, uh, that is a really good starting point, because when we started this project, uh, Project Selma, uh, a couple of years ago now, that was exactly the start point that we found, because we went out to young people and we held some focus groups talking with them about hate speech. Uh, invariably, they'd end up talking about bullying. Uh, and it became quite quite uh, clear to us from early on that there was this really difficult distinction that, that young people were finding hard. And to be perfectly honest, the adults that were working with them as well found it really hard to be clear about what hate speech means. So um, through a process with the partners that we're working with, so we work with a number of partners across Europe, um, Diana Awards in the UK, we worked with uh, Denmark and Greece and people colleagues from Germany and Belgium as well and a whole whole breadth of experiences and understanding we we sat down and tried to come up with our own definition that drew upon lots of the definitions that are already listed in European legislation so European legislation has this this basis that essentially says hate speech is not acceptable and goes on to define it but it can still be quite difficult to understand from from that definition so we ended up with quite a long definition that we have uh, drawn up. And we, we do have a short version as well, I hasten to add. Uh, so the, the, the official long version is that every form of expression written or said, including text messages, images, music, videos, games, painting, symbols, signs, and other forms of art, expressed and disseminated by an individual or group of people through all forms of electronic digital communication, such as media, websites, forums, blogs, social media platforms, emails, targeting against an individual or group of people based on a core characteristic of them, in particular on their gender or gender identity, race or ethnic origin, sexual orientation, religious affiliation or belief, disability, with the intention to spread hate, harass, 
threaten and provoke directly or indirectly violence against the specific individuals or members of groups within the societies. Phew. It's quite a, oh, that's indeed a long definition. It's quite a long definition. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So I, th I think for the benefit of people listening, we should probably run with a short definition, yeah. just because I think it will probably help people keep track as we go through the discussion today. So what's the short definition? Oh, now you're asking for the short definition. I don't have that right in front of me right now. So let, let... We, have, we have a short definition. <laughs> we do. We do have a short definition. I promise. Um, so the short definition is any online content targeting someone based on protected characteristics with the intent or likely effect of inciting, spreading, or promoting hatred or other forms of discrimination. There we go. Far That's a succinct. little bit shorter. Far more succinct. Sorry, sorry, everyone. I should have mentioned at the start that, that I was actually involved in this project with uh, with Andrew as well. We're, we're two of the uh, co-writers of the uh, the educational resources for Project Selma. So he, he said, we'll mention the URL at the end. Let's mention it now as well for repetition. It's uh, hackinghate.eu. has got lots of great resources about online hate speech. And we'll we'll touch upon some of those a little bit later. But uh, but that that definition was one that we were we were definitely using a lot where we were around and spoke to, to uh, young people and to adults about this, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And, and the short definition just makes it a little bit more uh, succinct and easy, to, and easy to access. And, and you know, you're talking about any online content. <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, that's actually, that's, a, that's a huge breadth of content and a huge breadth of material that be, can, can be created by people. You know, it, it is essentially anything online. People, I think, tend to think of hate speech as as text, as words, uh, and it's yep. not always as straightforward as simple as that. So the other thing I was going to say is, is, that, is also from that focus group work was the protected characteristics challenge and, and being able to understand what we mean by protected characteristics. It, indeed, and the Equality Act in the UK lists certain characteristics, but of course, in some ways, some of those weren't really relevant for this. So, for example, the, the Equality Act mentions things like uh, pregnancy or maternity, doesn't it? Which is a protected characteristic, but but isn't really reflected in the same way when you when you're talking about online hate speech. It's not, it's not a characteristic that people tend to tend to target. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And there's there's a huge variation within specifically UK law, but also international law about what the protected characteristics are. They vary from country to country, and, and to an extent, um, it, it's valid that that should happen because obviously the issues vary from country to country. But of course. You know, all humans have a set of characteristics, and some of those are protected because of that that uh, long-term historical abuse of those particular characteristics. Uh, and we've seen that repeated across countries and, and and across all kinds of different media for for many many years. You know, hate speech is is not a new phenomenon. That's a, I think that's a really good point, really important point to establish right right off the bat is although young people may be coming to hate speech for the first time possibly through the internet and those kind of online channels it's it's something that we've known as has been around a long time before the internet it was you know even an idea in in somebody's head uh i think that's a useful thing for them to understand in terms of the, the history and the scale of, of this kind of problem some of the, lo the laws and, and acts around this really go back a long way in, in the research report for, for hackinghate.eu you've got something you know, back in 1986 as, as being, you know, stirring up racial hatred. So there's a, there's a, a long, long um, legislative background to hate speech. And that's just one example. You know, it goes back beyond that too. That's also interesting, I think, in, that we've seen in other areas of, of online safety, you know, the, the other things that we do in this area, how 
legislation doesn't always keep pace with technology in a way that technology influences human behavior. Would, would you say that this is an area where that's the case as well, where the current legislation doesn't doesn't meet the demands of the problem online? Yeah, the, I mean, the current legislation in, in many, many areas, when you look at online behaviors, just doesn't doesn't manage to catch up and, and meet those changing changing behaviours. So without doubt, the legislation in the UK for hate speech is, is perfectly rigorous, but doesn't make account of the speed at which hate speech can be disseminated through the internet, uh, through, through a variety of different platforms and, and media online, and nor does it necessarily give policing the power and resourcing to be able to effectively target and tackle those reported crimes. Um, because it's such a such a wide ranging set of, of content and such veracity at which that can be spread that any criminal investigation or, or police response to that can be massively after the fact because as, as, as we well know and as many of you will know you can put something out online on a Friday night and, and by Saturday morning there'll be thousands of, of reshares of that piece of content. So So what do you think about some of our European colleague countries who have, yeah, I'm thinking of people like France, for example, who have actually introduced laws requiring certain contents to be removed off the internet within a time period if it is indeed considered to be hateful or, for example, terrorist content or child sexual abuse. Is there any merit in having some kind of legislation around that, do you think, in the UK? Wow, that's a really interesting question because my immediate thought of is, is concerns around internet censorship and, and, and that balance is really hard to strike straight away is to make sure that that you're allowing individuals under the the un rights to have that freedom of expression to be able to talk about things that, that concern or worry them but balance that against affecting the rights of, and um, liberties of other individuals so there's a huge tension between what what you know what i want to say because i feel it's important to say and how i say it then impacting upon somebody else either intentionally or unintentionally and, and you know going back to that definition you know looking at that it's the intent or the likely effect of inciting it so whilst i might say something and think it's perfectly fine actually somebody else looking at that can see that there's a likely effect of promoting that hatred so understanding that is really important and varies from country to country about you know when you look at that piece of content is it does it have an intent or effect of promoting hatred so the ability to do that i think yes we we need more to be need more tools in the legislation to enable us to look at content and take action with it but that also has to be tempered against that ability with our, of individuals to to have freedom of expression so is this where social media companies play uh, or need to play a more active role then? Because we've, we've already seen over the course of 2020 so far uh, in relation to things like Black Lives Matters movements and the response to that, both positive and negative on social media, that there's been there's been tensions on, on platforms like Twitter and Facebook as to as to what you permit uh, and what what goes against their terms of terms of uh, terms and conditions or community standards and, and isn't acceptable on their platform, whether it's set by an individual uh, just from a community or high profile uh, politician or someone else of some kind of importance. Do, do social media companies then need to do more to help with this? Yeah, it, it's a it's a fascinating little debate this really when we look at when we look at the role of social media 
companies and, and platforms out there. Many, many of them traditionally would have rested back on the we provide the platform, the user chooses the behavior framework for uh, intervening. And I think over the last few years, that position has quite significantly changed. And as you as you alluded to, we've seen quite high profile individuals have uh, impacts on their social presence as a result of things they've said. <laughs> and um, what's, I think what's interesting about that and, and looking at some of those cases is that that level of inconsistency between the platforms. So whereas one platform would take action and, and put up messages or warnings or, or respond, another platform won't. Uh, for the same piece of content and i think there is there is something there is an argument to be said that actually if that one piece of content or that one uh, statement or that individual's words are shared across multiple platforms then there should be a consistent response because it either does or does not break the law and it either does or does not have the effect or likely effect of, of inciting violence that's a really interesting point i guess that's complicated even further when you <laughs> I'll try not to name any names in this just the interest of fairness because otherwise certain names will just naturally pop up uh, but when certain high profile individuals say things on social media because they are so high profile essentially you could argue that what they say is in the public interest and is going to be reported on by by journalists and, yeah, yeah. and news organizations is there then any merit in in censoring it or removing it off social media if you know it's going to be out there in the public domain one way or another? Is there that kind of confusion, maybe? Yeah, and we've seen that, haven't we? I've seen cases recently, and the, the details elude me right now, but where messages have been put out there onto Twitter, they've had a negative implication for the individual who's put them out there. Uh, so they've deleted that message, but the message still persists because somebody screen grabbed it. Or in fact, in, in the particular case I'm thinking of, multiple people had screen grabbed it and then shared it saying, no, you, you did say this and you can't escape that. So you know, you, I don't really want to get into a position where you end up with one rule for somebody because they are a high profile individual and another rule for everybody else. I think that's really difficult to, to police and enforce as well. And when you start sprinkling in where the person is located. So if the individual is in a, a, one particular continent and their message resonates across the whole world under what law do you investigate that that individual That's which, a very good question which country's law have they broken by saying that you know because you know as, as a british person we might look at that message and, and react to it in one particular way but uh, an american or a south american guatemala or venezuela or somebody in africa could look at it in a different way as well Sorry, I should, yeah, I should, I should, I should clear up. By the way, Africa is not a country; it is a continent. <laughs> I th think we knew what you meant. No, <laughs> no, it's that is a really interesting question. I think that highlights the importance of of context, not just in terms of the the country in which you you may be experiencing that content that come across that content online, but also the the context around how you encounter that. As you mentioned, you know, a, a high profile person could put something out on Twitter. But does does one tweet constitute, you know, a sort of a, a pattern of hate speech? Could it be taken out of context? Could it be misrepresented? You know, we've seen people take, uh, you know, what, what people have said and either misinterpret them or refashion them. We've seen people take memes, create memes out of photos that create a very different meaning to the original photo. So I guess there's that that danger all the time that without the context, it's hard to know how to respond in the right kind of way. Yeah, I mean, context is king and, and context is always really important. I, th I think there are certain statements that anybody could make anywhere in the globe 
that would resonate with everybody uh, and, and that would have an effect of inciting or, or, or leading towards violence towards other individuals or discrimination. You know, so I think there are certain key phrases that, you know, if any individual said them, there would be frowns on the people, on the faces of everybody around them. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I th- I, it's important. To, I think it's important to say that, to, to recognise that as well, is that while we can argue context is king or, or you know, as we sort of mentioned before, whether or not it was intended, the fact of the matter is if, if certain things are expressed or said, then they still have the, the capacity to cause harm. And that, that is the issue. And this is why it's so important for all of us, but particularly young people who are navigating the spaces that, that we're all in, is that, as, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, once you've said something, you can't take it back. Once it's out there on a, on a public platform, not only is it public by the nature of the platform, unless you've got your privacy settings set up differently, um, but also anybody else can capture that. And, and as you said, you know, repurpose it, twist it, amplify it uh, in a number of different ways that can have a, a much longer and deeper impact on, on your individual rights because you've said something that, that is uh, offensive or inappropriate or, or indeed hateful. Indeed. So, so what do you think young people need to know then in order to, to tackle online hate speech if they encounter it online? What kind of skills or understanding would they need? So, so in, in the work we've done with, with Project Selma, what we very much wanted to do is, is root all understanding around hate speech in social and emotional learning. Because for us, we very much felt from the outset when we were, when we were planning the work and, 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 in, and indeed looking at the, the call from the EU is to say, well, what's important is that empathy and the ability to understand emotions and emotional states really helps you as an individual understand the impact and the power of your words. So, so for, for me, one of the things that looking at a UK context that's really lacking in lots of schools, and, that, and there are plenty of exclusions to this, I hasten to add, but in lots of schools, that explicit and implicit teaching of social and emotional skills and emotional intelligence is a, such an important thing, not only from a hate speech perspective, but also from a bullying perspective, but also from a relationships perspective and a, an employability perspective. And, and I, I'm a great, great uh, proponent and, and uh, I want to promote just how important SIL is. Absolutely. And it's that they are essentially life skills as well. You know, you unless something fundamentally changes with the with the human race over the next few generations we're still going to be interacting with each other one way or another I really hope so. <laughs> it might all be from homes in lockdown <laughs> but um but we are still going to be talking to each other we're still going to be relating to each other and you're going to have all the issues that come with those relationships with other people both both good and bad that's that's part and parcel of what relationships with other people are Absolutely. and yeah i agree no understanding that and building those skills is really really important for for life Having done all the work and all the, on all the exploring and the reading around SEL, I can, I can completely see why this is such an important component of uh, successful life, yeah, anybody's successful life, and, and those who aren't successful and, and looking at the implications for their, their SEL and empathy skills. But of course, you know, within, within that, SEL isn't, isn't the panacea. It's not going to solve everything. You know, if you talk, teach every, every child SEL, they're not going to be you know, perfectly functioning for, you know, for the rest of their life and succeed in every, in every sense. But it sets a really important ground groundwork uh, and lays that that, uh, that that layer of bedrock. There we go. That's the right term. The layer of bedrock for which everything else can stand upon. The foundation. Um, so what we did on top of that is is we layered uh, looking at media, uh, analysing and producing media, 
and also using the power of peer within Selma as well. So, so for, for us, having, having a good SEL understanding and then being able to explore media and how media works and how I can produce and share content on media, both positively and negatively, uh, then how I can look at, at using that uh, and sharing that content with a campaigning influence you know, and looking to start changing what I'm seeing, both individually as a group and learning from my peers as well. So all of that kind of sprinkles together and, and melts down to, to form the basis of, of Selma. And it, and it's really versatile as well, isn't it? You know, part of part of our thinking and colleagues' thinking when we put the toolkit together was to provide different entry points in for different yeah. different types of schools, different people. So there's there's opportunities to go in at a different entry point if you're working with young people with special educational needs. Maybe you need to establish some some sort of base understanding of of what online hate speech is before you can delve into some of those more citizenship or media production and media literacy areas that that Andrew just mentioned. So so it's it's quite nice as it is quite. Flexible to do that what i really love about it what's been really satisfying it sounds a weird thing to say really satisfying to see over the course of 2020 is actually um you know part part of the toolkit was about empowering young people to to make a difference with regards to online hate speech uh, or, or hate speech in general whether it's in their local community whether it is online in, in different channels it's been fascinating to see the effect of the Black Lives Matter movement over the last couple of months and the way in which things have kind of exploded into life in terms of online campaigning, localised, offline campaigning. It, it's very much reflecting a number of the things that we wanted the toolkit to, to help young people understand, to give them those skills to be able to go away and do that kind of stuff. So it's, it's quite satisfying a way to see those kind of things happening in the real world. It's, it's really sad, the circumstances that have obviously led up to these things needing to come out now. But it's but it's great to see those kind of things do actually work in in practice. Yeah, it, it, I mean, really is. I mean, the Black Lives Black Lives Matter movement is absolutely amazing. That the power and the effect it's had in in a really short time uh, absolutely demonstrates how individuals working collectively can have a really profound impact. And of course, it's it's a hugely important topic, and it's been one that that hasn't really gone away. Um, and, and some some of the some of the action is that from that has been very direct, and I don't think either of us would stand here and, and uh, uh, want to promote direct action to the extent of you know removing a a statue in that in that that really difficult criminal sense. It was a really awkward situation, but but the power that that had was was really fascinating. Not only because that individual act represented the, the, you know a, a sea change for the community in Bristol. Uh, but also what that then did is, is it went online and that video and that content and that and that event spread and amplified and led to other consequential takedowns of statues, conversations around statues and, and propelled lots of that, uh, lots of the, the Black Lives Matter into the public psyche in a way that we haven't seen before. Uh, and that's through the power of the Internet and, and harnessing that power for positive change is one of the things that, that Selma wants to do and we want to encourage all young people to be able to do. Definitely I, I totally agree it's, it's given some really good examples for young people of just just what you can do with the internet how you can spread those messages uh, in a positive way to affect 
positive change and really stress the positive because we've obviously we've seen plenty of things over, over the years and indeed recent months that, that haven't been positive that have spread very quickly via the internet it's nice to see some some positivity come out of this as well you mentioned earlier about the, the there's risks obviously around direct action and and of course there's risks about direct action online as well yeah. uh what would young people need to know or indeed educators listening need to know about about how you can challenge online hate speech being able to protect yourself, I think, is really important when it comes to challenging hate speech, because the moment you enter into uh, an environment that could be potentially very toxic with lots of negative commentary, content and aggression towards individuals, you do immediately put yourself at risk. So, so fundamentally, being aware of that from the outset is important because what we don't want, we don't want young people just wading into any old argument uh, and then all of a sudden that escalates and they feel terribly at risk or indeed directly threatened because their profile picture is, is, on, their, is on their Twitter account or their Snap account that they've used or you know, they've, they've got photographs with their home address in. So there's some, some basic steps that you can do, uh, like creating a specific account or, or cleansing your account before you're going to go entering into this space to make sure that you're protecting yourself. Uh, and we've got lots and lots of cool tips and advice and hints around how you can do that within within that toolkit, within the campaigning uh, approach. Acting, acting as a group can be quite powerful too. So where individually you might be upset or annoyed or, or, or indeed offended by something that some, some, that's happened or you've seen or been part of, um, acting individually can expose you on an individual level, whereas acting as a group, you start to spread that exposure out and uh, and spread the risk of being targeted. Uh, and, and that also gives you a greater number of ways out of the problem. So having an awareness of, well, if I'm going to step into this situation, I also need to have an understanding of how I'm going to step out of that situation. Can I de-escalate it using humour? Can I actively engage using humour? Can I uh, passively uh, correct the statement and, and you know change what is a negative statement that somebody's written into a positive statement really really passively and subtly and just gently put it out there without commentary so there are ways that you can engage that allow you to have a voice but don't put you into into a risk position and that also give you that route back out again to, to you know to lower your head underneath the parapet and protect yourself from any additional uh, flak that might be flying around Thank you. Really, really good points and good advice and, and really does highlight the importance of strategies. And, you know, we, we've talked with children and young people for many years now, haven't we, about strategies of, of other ways of keeping yourself safe online. But this is one of those areas where you have to you have to more carefully juggle the the, the risk versus the benefits of, of engaging with this. Um, yeah. to, to make sure you kind of get the, the outcome that you want rather than make things worse. Yeah, essentially risk risk managing, looking at looking at the problem and assessing the risk. And and we know that for some young people that can be quite difficult because they, they haven't yet developed those skills. So we as educators are able to support them with understanding risk because we can help use scenarios and situations to, to give them a, an experience of that particular problem or that situation to think about and consider before they go ahead and just storm in themselves. You know, I can see some horrific situations with, with young people storming into a particular environment or platform and really, really then struggling as a consequence of that. So, so counselling, and, and I mean that from the sense of, of, of advising young people about what to do and how to do it, I think is, is really important. Those, as you said, Gareth, those strategies 
for engaging are, are implicit and explicit within the toolkit and should be part of that teaching as well. Could completely agree. So, so on the subject of, of counsel or advice, what advice would you give to, to professionals who work with children and young people about how to help them build a, that knowledge and that understanding and those skills to, uh, to help them respond to online hate? Sure. I mean, it's really simple. Go and use Selma Hacking Hate Toolkit. <laughs> doesn't sound like an advert at all. No, no, at all. <laughs> it, it's free, it's, we should add. It is absolutely free. It, is, it has been funded uh, by the European Union called. It's available at hackinghate.eu and it's got lots and lots of activities, worksheets, content, slide packs, all available all clearly written, all written by, I should hasten to add, uh, amazing experts um, <laughs> and experienced <Good> educators <laughs> in, in the field. Um, and, and it, it's, it, it's there for you. I think the problem is um, it's, when it comes to things like this, I and mean, lots of topics like this are challenging for adults to want to go near. They don't, we don't feel like we've necessarily got the right skills or the right experiences or the right understanding to jump into those spaces with the young people. But the reality is, is the children and young people you're working with will be exposed to hate speech content. There is absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, you, you take the, the, the lockdown from the pandemic into, into consideration and the amount of time the young people have had online has, has massively increased. And for some young people that you'll, you'll be working with and aware of, you know, they, they won't be uh, spending lots of time learning. They'll be spending lots of time online in other ways. And therefore they are, as I would say, almost guaranteed to have experienced some level of hate content. Now, whether they've recognized that, whether they've uh, identified it as hate content is a different matter, but it's almost certain that they're gonna have seen that. And therefore, if we're not helping them with that, where else are they going to get that help from? You know, for, for lots of young people, again, that their parents and carers aren't necessarily going to have the skills or experiences either, because you know, let's, let's be honest, they're going to be similar age to us as, as educators and teachers. So they're going to have the same similar fears and, and issues. So, so what Selma does is it gives you as an educator an easy entry point in that, that isn't inflammatory, that isn't going to put you at risk, it isn't going to put the young people at risk to start unpacking this. And in all the work that, that we've done, Gareth, in all the sessions that we've done, we've always experienced an amazingly positive response from young people. Absolutely. And I, th I think the, the, one of the greatest strengths of the toolkit as, as you hope with any good, any sort of useful and effective educational resources that it gets discussion going. Uh, and we found that to be the case with our web, but we've heard from other educators as well who've tried it, haven't they? And they said it, it really does open those doors of discussion on, on something that can seem like a very difficult or sensitive conversation and a conversation that young people really want to have as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know what? We've gone and done work um, with educators. I, I went and worked with an educator who's a music teacher. And, you know, she, she teaches music day in, day out, but then got involved in Project Selma and, and had a really positive reaction from the young people that she worked with uh, looking at hate. So, you, you know, you don't have to be a PSHE lead or, or a, a particular specialist in this topic. You know, you can pick up the, the sessions with, with zero understanding of, of hate and get to a position within, you know, really quickly that you're going to come across uh, as, as helpful and supportive to the young people you're working with. And, and fundamentally, young people just want to talk about this stuff. You know, they, they experience and encounter difficult situations online all the time. And 
the fundamental of all of those is that young people just need the ability and the opportunity to talk about it with somebody. That talking is so important. I say this regularly to, to educators. What you may lack in experience online or your own experiences online may be different to the young people. You have bags of real world experiences that you can draw upon to help them understand what they're experiencing, even if you're not doing that yourself. Totally agree. And as I think I mentioned in a recent podcast to Jess, uh, that I, I'm a firm believer that schools and colleges and other academic institutions offer that space, safe space to be able to really properly talk about these things. Uh, and that's a safe space. I think, like you mentioned earlier, that, that young people don't necessarily get anywhere else. So, so you know, educators, teachers, those of you who work with young people, your role is, is crucially important in this. Yeah, it, it really, really is. Great words, Gareth. Thank you. No, th Andrew, thank you so much for, for your insights and talking more about Project Selma and, and, and your thoughts around online hate speech. It's uh, an issue that we've seen, obviously, in 2020. It's, it's not only been around for a very long time, but sadly, in some ways, isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So, so it's great to hear that there is stuff out there that can help educators. So before we finish up, if you have a question or issue that you'd like to discuss, uh, like us to discuss on a future podcast, then please do get in touch. You can get in touch by email, podcast at swgfl.org.uk. Um, before we go, Andrew, when Jess and I do these podcasts, we always like to give listeners uh, a recommendation of something to read or watch or listen to. It doesn't have to be online safety related. It can be anything you like. Have you got a recommendation for us? <laughs> I have got a recommendation, actually. Um... I have I have a contact with a lovely, amazing musician called Lizzie Corish, that's C-O-R-I-S-H, who does uh, some fantastic covers and her own songs and is currently doing a whole series called Lockdown Lizzie on Facebook. Uh, she live streams. She had, she had amazing success with um, doing some on-street concerts, raising money for charity, uh, and now she switched to doing those online instead. And you can make, you can make suggestions or, or, or requests and she'll sing, sing those out to you. Fabulous. That's just what we need in this time, isn't it? So it's more on-demand stuff that's yeah. tailored to your own personal needs and likes. Positivity. Depending on her repertoire. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so my recommendation, is, and it's going to come across as cliche, but it's not meant to be cliche, but actually, while, while we're in lockdown, I've, I've been finding time to catch up on things and dive into Netflix, as most people have. And I've really got into the new Star Trek series on Netflix, Star Trek Discovery, but it also got me going back and watching old original Star Treks um partly because i'm a geek and i love star trek and always have done but also it it's it was quite a comforting thing in this time because uh star trek is all about a, a future vision of a of a world a future where where people do live in harmony and people are treated equally regardless of gender or sexual identity and preferences or race or religion or in the case of star trek even whether or not you're human or not uh and i actually found that really comforting uh at this time i think i think it's something really nice about it it's a nice way of just showing actually what what human life could be like in the future if we can solve some of these these disagreements and these inequalities that that we are currently seeing in 2020 so that's my recommendation it's a, a nice optimistic one looking to a brighter future <laughs> <laughs> don't laugh andrew um so, thank you're, you're saying you're looking <laughs> to a brighter future i I'm, I'm agreeing with you i just think it's a lovely, Absolutely. It's a lovely way of phrasing it gareth Thank you. So, th and thank you too for listening to this SWGFL podcast. If you found this podcast helpful, please do spread the word to your fellow educators. And remember, if you have a query about an online safety issue affecting a young person, yourself or your organisation, you can contact the Professionals Online Safety Helpline at helpline at saferinternet.org.uk or by calling 0344 381 
01484772472. And don't forget, as I mentioned earlier, if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the podcast, drop us an email at podcast at swgfl.org.uk. Remember, a better internet starts with you. I hope you join us next time. Goodbye. This Safeguarding Children online podcast has been produced by SWGFL. Southwest Grid for Learning is a charity that has specialised in online safety for nearly 20 years and is one of the three partners in the UK Safer Internet Centre. The UK Safer Internet Centre is the national centre and one of 32 European Safer Internet Centres. For more information and terms of use, please visit www.swgfl.org.uk. Thanks for listening.